think that's where it's at, on iTunes, and you can listen to those. Let's read Galatians 2, 1 through 10 together. It says, Then after 14 years I went up again to Jerusalem where Barnabas, take, with Barnabas taking Titus along with me. And I went up because of revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaimed among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet, because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us back into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission, even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, whom seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they ask us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, may these be your words. May they be exalted and lifted up. May they take root in our lives and bring about good fruit for you. If they are not your words today that are spoken, we pray that they will burn away, that they will be blown as dust in the wind. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. I don't know if you can tell by looking at me, but I like food. I like, I like food a lot. As a matter of fact, going back and listening to some sermons, I recognize that a lot of my illustrations happen to be about food. Makes me a little nervous sometimes to think about it that way. But on top of food, what I also like is to cook, which is good that I like to cook since I like food so much. And on top of that, I really like to watch cooking shows. I'm also kind of competitive. You might not know that about me. And if you can add food and cooking and competition together, wow. Now that is a recipe for Master Chef, I think, is what the show is actually called. So there is cooking shows that are competitions that these chefs from all over in different levels, right? Some might be just a home chef, some might be a sous chef, someplace somebody might be an executive chef, someplace somebody might own a catering company, somebody just might know how to make toasties, right? But they ended up there somehow. And what they love to do is put them in situations to cause them to be able to cook something. And the most interesting thing to me is this. There are usually within these shows a time that they give them an ingredient. And with that ingredient, they're free to kind of do something that expresses who they are as a chef, right? Their identity as a chef. And they have to use the ingredient. If they don't use the ingredient, then they're going to get kicked off, fail, right? 
And, and so what ends up happening is each chef gets the ingredient. So as easy, let's use just chicken, okay? So they get chicken. So they open up the basket, and it's just chicken. And they have chicken there. Now, quite honestly, chicken is not that tasty. You've got to do stuff to it to make it tasty. It's not that, it's like there's so, like lamb and beef and fish and squid. I mean, there's so many other things that taste inherently good. So chicken, you really have to do something with because it's kind of bland. It's, it, 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 it doesn't carry a lot. So each person decides what they're going to do, right? And they have an hour or 15 minutes or whatever to do that thing. But they have chicken. And so somebody decides, um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to grind it up and I'm going to make chicken sausage. And so they put thyme and maybe roasted apples and rosemary in it and they make it all ground up and then they make this great sausage out of it, right? And somebody decides, well, I'm going to make a chicken curry because I'm going to use that as that's my flavor and that's who I am. And maybe there happens to be uh, somebody that decides, I'm going to make fried chicken. And so they come up with some great fried chicken recipe and they decide, I'm going to make it a little spicy and they put sriracha in it and all sorts of things. And then somebody decides, well, I'm going to do um, chicken parm. And so they flatten out the chicken breast and they make chicken. Are you hungry yet? And all the judges, they end up eating, right? They taste each one and they're like, mm, yes, I can really taste the chicken in that. Oh, yes, I, yes, there's definitely chicken in that one. Mm, yeah, I like the chicken in this one. The thing is, is it's chicken. It's still chicken. It's done different ways, it has different seasonings, it has different, but it's still just chicken. Unless, of course, you're cooking for vegans and then it's a chicken substitute that looks like chicken, but isn't really chicken. So here in this passage that we just read, Paul is continuing on his story, right? We talked about last week why story is important and what Paul's doing with his story and how our story ties in to a larger story of what God is doing in his pursuit of love for us. Well, Paul is continuing his story as he's talking about what's happening. And what he's reminding us is that there's these Judaizers, these folks who have snuck in to change the gospel. As a matter of fact, what they've really done is they've taken the chicken and they've moved it away and put the chicken vegan substitute in there. Because you can't just change a little bit of the chicken. If you change it, it's not chicken anymore. It's something else. And that's what he's saying. He's reminding them in what we've read that these Judaizers have snuck in. What their real thought is, is this. Not everybody in the world is Jewish, but if you're a follower of Jesus, then you must be Jewish. That's what they're thinking. That's what these Judaizers are thinking. Not everybody's Jewish, but if you're a follower of Jesus now, then you must be Jewish, which means you have to go back to the dietary rules, and you have to go back to circumcision, and you have to go back to all of the festivals. And, all. and what Paul is saying is, no, that's, that's chicken substitute. That's not real chicken. That's not the gospel. The gospel says that it's only in Christ, in him alone. It's Jesus plus nothing. That's the gospel. We do that too, don't we? We do it sort of this way. Not everyone lives in Fremantle, but if you live in Fremantle, you must be a Dockers fan. Right? And those who aren't, well, they maybe need to move out of Fremantle. Not everybody likes music, but those who like music need to love you too or some other band that we hold in high esteem. 
not everyone is a Christian, but all Christians should only do this. And we put these external things, we build these things around us of what is what we perceive, the things that make us or identify us or give us some sort of particularness. And we elevate it. We make it larger than what it should be. That's what the Judaizers were doing in this story of Paul. They were taking things that were, while very important and right and good, but elevating them to a place that were beyond what they were supposed to be. What Paul is really pointing out here is that the peripheral things are not what identify us. And that for followers of Jesus, everything else except for Jesus is peripheral. Not unimportant, not worthy of being, but they are peripheral. So what is the gospel? What is he saying is the gospel? He tells us in the first chapter, who gave himself, Jesus, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age. Gospel is about a pattern of whole relationship. I want to just flip back to Acts 13. Because this is exactly where Paul's at as he's talking about this story, as he's telling this part of his story. is Acts 13, Luke records it for us. And he records what Paul is talking about as the gospel, what these folks in the churches of Galatia heard. So this is chapter 13, starting in verses 22 through 39. Sorry, 32. This is what he says. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second psalm, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way. I will give you a holy and sure blessing of David. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your Holy One see corruption. For David, after he had served a purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come to you. Look, you scoffers, be astonished and perish, for I am doing a work in you today, a work that you will not believe, even though no one tells you. What Paul, that's the gospel Paul proclaimed to the churches in Galatia. Did you notice? It's about freedom and it's about unity. It's about the fact that, yes, these things that are the law, these things that are peripheral, that they were identifying with, that they were saying, this is what makes me who I am in God. He was saying, no, what makes you who you are in God is the one who, cri who rose from the dead, Christ. He's the one who makes you who you are. It's a pattern of relationship of freedom and unity. Here's what it boils down to. Our distinctives, the things that are 
peripheral, but are our distinctives, the things that we believe, the things that we hold are true, the things that we can line up and say, in, 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 in my walk, in life, this is how I identify myself. Our distinctives cannot cause division. Because unity is the summit of the mountain that we're walking towards. Colossians 3, Paul puts it this way. Here, there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and he is in all. That as we move into a loving relationship, this this pursuing God who comes to us and says, I want to be your God, I want you to be my people, that says, I will return you to whole relationship with me, yourself, others, and with place. When he moves in our lives, we are no longer those peripheral things, those distinctive things that we identify as who we are. We are now in Christ. And it brings freedom and unity, which the book of Galatians is all about. So what kind of freedom is it? Well, if we look here, part of it is a freedom from fear. What has happened with the Judaizers is they built a system of all these good and righteous things to do for fear that they might lose their relationship with God. Not understanding that God will never let them go, that God is holding them based on His covenant, based on what He desires, not based on what they do. And so when we step into our understanding that our identity is in Christ, then we move from freedom of fear. We no longer have to build systems. Look, here's the thing. Even our really good actions, when they're done out of wrong motivations, do not bear good anything in us. It still looks good. It still accomplishes things that might be good. But in the end, it's not accomplishing what our heart is longing for, which is whole relationship. The other thing that it's freedom from is freedom from shame. Now, what fear does is it builds systems in order to protect us. What shame does is it builds walls. Here comes Titus. He's coming in. He's not circumcised. He's worried about not being circumcised. Should I be circumcised? That's a big thought for a man. (laughs) Do I want to do that? You can imagine there's shame there. I'm not like them. Am I supposed to be like them? If I'm a follower of Jesus and they're followers of Jesus, isn't that how I'm supposed to look and act? So there could be shame there. But when we're in Christ, we move away from shame. What shame does is it builds walls because we don't want people to really know who we really are. We don't want them to see the darkness in our heart. We don't want them to see the doubt that we might even possess. We don't want them to see the fact that there are days that I'm not quite sure I'm in this relationship. Why? Probably because we've built a system that we failed at. But we move away from that when we are in Christ. Why? Because we know Christ, if we're seen in a relationship with God through Christ, we are seen in Christ, who is perfect, has done it all. And not just because he obeyed, but because he is the all in all. The third thing that it moves us away from is this freedom of failure. And failure, we build status, a caste system, 
a way to look at things. Well, now the preacher, now he's, he's better than me because he preaches. And then I'm better than the person that's out there because I actually came and sat down in a pew. And then that person out there is better than this, right? We have this status. Paul talks about that here. Right? He said, I went to those who seemed influential. Not that God sees them that way, because God does not see things with partiality. He doesn't rank us in our importance to him. Because in your particularness, in who you are, you are the most important to God. Because you rest in Christ. And he's put his righteousness and holiness and truth and love on you. So you're no longer seen just in your status that is seen here in the world. And so there is no failure. There's no need to move up or move down. There's no need to look at yourself and go, if I can only attain that status, then I'll be accepted. Because you're already accepted. N.T. Wright, when he's talking about this passage, says this, that one God works in a particular people for particular traditions in particular ways, but it's still the one God who does it. That we are all one in Christ, outside of these things that are peripheral. The most interesting thing about the gospel is this, and we see it over and over again. When we begin to see our true identity, who we are resting in Christ alone, is it moves us to a response that is this. A gospel response, a gospel understanding leads us to generous living. What does Paul say at the end of this little part of his story? He says, look, they accepted me, they gave me the right hand of Christian fellowship, they brought me in, and then they said to me, you don't need to change anything, we're not going to add anything to your message, it's perfect the way that it is. We just want you to continue to remember the poor, which he was eager to do. Why? Because a response to the gospel is a generous life. It is a life that knows everything is the Lord's, nothing is mine, I can't help but respond by giving. I can't help but respond by giving my life and my gifts and my talents. What does that look like for you? Well, here's the thing. I'm not you particularly. You're you particularly. I'm me. So what it looks like for me, how God works and fleshes that out, what generous living looks like is going to look different than it does for you. Everybody wants to kind of climb back in bed right now, don't they, with that rain coming in? Oh, man. But what I can say is this. That is a life that is lived knowing that when I look at the other, those who are beyond me, when I move myself out of fear from my status, or from my system, or from my shame, then God opens up all sorts of opportunities for me to express His steadfast love. Because a generous life is a life that expresses God's steadfast, pursuing love. 
A life that moves towards people. A life that says, how can I be with you? How can I be for you? How can I help you? So sometimes that might look like opening your home. Sometimes that might look like giving a meal. Sometimes that looks like our greeting time that should welcome and hold and hug everybody, even if it might be uncomfortable for some. It's willing to step out and do. Not not because that's the system. (laughs) Not because that's the thing that's going to get you right. Not because that's the thing that you should be identified as. Because when we do it, what people should see is Christ in us. Because we are in Christ. So listen. Mom, wife, sister, daughter. Husband, father, brother, son. Grandma, grandpa, niece, nephew, cousin. Trading, executive, school teacher, barrister, preacher, homemaker, chef, overweight, underweight, unhealthy, blonde, black hair, blue eyes, green eyes, brown eyes, lover of country and western, rock and roll, punk. EDM. Never seen a movie, never watched a TV show. Can't get enough of it. Watch every episode of this particular show. It's my favorite. I read books. I listen to books. Never picked up a book in my life. Vegetarian, omnivore, vegan, pescatarian, raw food, cooked food, steamed food, mushed up food, Drinking shakes. Male, female, American, Australian, Indonesian, Indian, Chinese, teetotaler, booze hound, smoker, ex-smoker, trying to quit smoking. Each one of you, as I said those things, had 15, 10, 20 things that you went, yep, that's me, yep, that's me, that's me. What Paul is telling us in his story here is that, yes, while those might be part of who you are and part of your story, it is not your identity. In Christ, your identity is son or daughter. Son or daughter of the one who pursues you at all cost to show you and gather you in to his steadfast love. And our response is generous with ourselves and with all those who are around us. Let's pray. Lord, you are good to us. Let us hear you whisper our name as you woo us to yourself. We are your children. Thank you for making us so. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Would you please stand as we respond by singing How Deep the Father's Love for Us.